Did you know that no one in the Bible gets a free pass to destiny? Even if you are Isaac, the son of Abraham, everyone who has been bequeathed with promise must go through the proving process of destiny. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Corral. Welcome to our Day of Destiny. Today, we are going to look at some of the most powerful biblical success secrets in the Bible as we study the stepping stones into greatness. Today, we are going to learn about the testings, the trials, and the challenges that turned Hadassah into Esther the Queen. So stay with us and don't miss the anointing of destiny God is going to impart in your life today. Megillah Esther, the scroll of Esther, begins with a feast given by her future husband, King Ahasuerus, or King Ahasuerus in Hebrew. The first thing that the Bible teaches us about King Ahasuerus, or Ahasuerus, is that he is very steeped in one of the most negative character traits a person can actually possess. That is the character trait of narcissism. If we begin the Megillah, we will be able to see that Esther chapter 1, looking at verse 3 and verse 4, will tell us something highly unusual about this king who was the king over 127 provinces. And I want to show you that in this Achmanid empire that he ruled over, he was a very insecure person who used narcissism to prove his self-worth. Here we see in Esther chapter 1 verse 3, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants, the power of Mede and Persia. Verse 4, when he had showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and his honor and excellent majesty many days, even 180 days. My beloved friends, I want you to see this particular feast that was thrown at Shushan the palace was a feast for not for the sake of benevolence, not for the sake to invite the subjects to be part of the kingdom, to see and to participate and enjoy the food and, and everyone to feel as if they had a portion in the kingdom, quite on the contrary. Ahasuerus was obsessed with himself. He was so obsessed with himself that for six solid months, all he did was continually brag and continually boast on the riches of his glorious majesty, showing everything he had accomplished, everything that he had done in his empire. No one month was not enough. Two months was not enough. It had to drag into six long months of nonstop 
partying, if you will, and telling and bragging and covetously boasting of himself and declaring himself to be the greatest monarch that ever lived. Now, why is the Megillah going out of its way to show us the narcissistic background and the culture of the palace, which was a culture of narcissism. You may say, Dr. Corral, what in the world are you talking about? I thought that Esther was a fairy tale story. I thought she was the most beautiful woman in the world. And now she's coming from a place of rags to riches. And now she's just the most beautiful lady in the whole world. And she's now almost like Cinderella going to live in this dream palace. But I want you to know the Bible, my dear brothers and sisters, does not record these things so we know they happened. The Bible is not to be read like a newspaper. Actually, the scripture is showing us the character traits that God uses and very strongly the character traits that the Almighty refuses. And in particular, we are going to see an illicit use of power demonstrated not only through King Ahasuerus, but also through one of the most wicked men that ever lived, who completely corresponds with the culture of the palace, and that is Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, who is the Jews' enemy. Now, beloved saints, I want you to understand what is actually going on here. Because we can compare in context the culture that we see pervading there in the palace with King Ahasuerus and later with Haman. The Bible says then uh, in Esther chapter 3 verse 1, And King Ahasuerus did promote Haman, the son of Hamadatta, the Agagite, and advanced his seat and set his seat above all that were before him. And we know that the king made a decree and an order that everyone should do reverence to Haman and bow before him. So the question arises, is leadership, is a platform, is influence that God entrusts with an individual to be used for one's vainglory? Is it to be given to enable one for further self-engrandizement. We go back, way back in scripture, and we see an illicit understanding and misuse of what destiny actually is. When we look at Esau, you see, Haman, the son of Amadatta, who was the Agagite of the seed of the Amalekites, if we go back to Amalek and we trace the Amalekites, we will be able to understand that Amalek or Amalek is actually the grandson of Esau. We see this in Genesis chapter 36, verse 12 that Eliphaz, the oldest son of Esau, 
um, didn't marry, but took a concubine by the name of Timnah. And she bore to Esau Amalek. Now, why is this so important? It's very important to understand one of the great themes in the book of Esther, because one of the themes in the book of Esther is completely annihilating and eradicating Amalek from the scene. But we also need to understand that we, as God's people, have been called to eradicate Amalek, an ideology of Amalek, and an ideology and principles and thinking of what Amalek is and who Amalek is and why is Amalek one of the major arch enemies, the major arch enemy of Israel throughout the Bible. But first of all, let us get back to Esau. If you study the scripture and remember, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 35, beginning in verses 29 through uh, the rest of the chapter, the Bible tells us that Esau sold his birthright for a pot of beans to Jacob. And the scripture acts as its own commentary. And the scripture says, thus Esau despised his birthright. Why did he despise it? Because he said to Jacob, what profit can this birthright be to me? You see, beloved, The illicit use of power, the illicit use of influence is all about me, all about my greatness, all about what I can get out of it. Unfortunately, we can have some unsanctified neediness in our own lives where we actually mistakenly can turn our responsibility that God has given us when he has entrusted a place, a position, a platform to us, and we use it for our own purposes of self-engrandizement. Beloved people, we are going to see a clashing contrast emerge in the Megillah, and we are going to see the character traits that God uses and the character traits that God refuses. In particular, the scripture is going to give its biblical recipe for greatness as it begins to introduce to us behind the clashing contrast of Ahasuerus in his obsession uh, to glorify himself, and also in the uh, overwhelming self-engrandizement of Haman, the son of Hamadatta, the Agagite, compared in contrast to Esther and to Mordecai. I want you to understand something, beloved saints. In Hebrit, or in what we might call um, biblical, um, biblical prophetic parallels, we are going to see that the scripture begins to teach us and show us something great about the character traits, which are the stepping stones into greatness used in the book of Esther to define both Mordecai and Esther. 
There's a common denominator that places them as potential being used greatly for the glory of God in their highest potential and purpose as we look at what the Bible describes as their apparel. Why their apparel? Because when we look at the biblical meaning of the word clothing, we are going to understand that the scripture associates clothing, not just with clothes you put on your body, but also the scripture shows us something about clothing and character traits. As a matter of fact, one of the Hebrew words for the word clothing is the word mad. It is spelled mem dalit, and it is the very prefix of the word midot. Midot is the word in Hebrew for character traits. So when we read in Esther chapter 5, verse 1, there is something very unusual that we see in the Hebrew language that we do not get in the English language. And that is, let us read from Esther chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, And on the third day it came to pass that Esther put on her royal apparel. Now that sounds pretty normal. It sounds very flowing. It sounds she's just going to put like it's she's just going to put on her royal clothing. But in the Hebrew language, that is not what it says. It says, and it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on royalty. How can you put on royalty? The Bible is going to show us that she put on royalty because she put on certain character traits that were so pleasing to God. Now, I want you to understand, beloved saints, that all through the Megillah Esther, the, the whole entire scroll of Esther is filled with the hidden and also the revealed. The hidden and the revealed in the book of Esther. What is the hidden? The hidden is actually hidden in Esther's name, even in the name of God, because we see in the book of Esther, it is the only book in the entire Bible where God's name does not appear. And the question is, why? Is it because God decided not to allow his name here? No, beloved. We must understand that very deliberately. We see the hidden actually revealed in the book of Esther, because in the darkest days of our life, in the times when we do not feel God, these are the very times that God appears in our lives through circumstances that we ourselves do not understand. You see, beloved, I want to for a moment before I show you the miraculous mystery here that we're going to see concerning the apparel and the character traits that Esther carried within her being that caused the king to stretch out his golden scepter to her, not just the earthly king, but the king of heaven who saw her and stretched out the golden scepter to her. We must also understand the words of Mordecai. 
And these were words that he spoke to Esther when he said, think not that you yourself will escape more than all the Jews. For if at this time you are karash, if you're silent, if you're deaf, enlargement and deliverance will come to the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house shall be destroyed. I want to draw to your attention the concept of enlargement and deliverance. My dear friends, I want you to understand that whenever God brings deliverance, he doesn't just relieve the pressure. The God that we serve also brings enlargement, not just deliverance. I want you to understand that what you are going through this very moment in your life is not just for, for not. I want you to understand when God's miraculous moment is chosen uh, that very hour, the hour that he will stop what you're going through. I want you to understand there is going to be a great reward released into your life and you will will have double for your shame. And you must understand that enlargement always comes with deliverance. Let me share this with you. The Bible says in Psalm chapter four, verse one, Oh Lord, I cried unto you in my distress and you heard me and brought me into a large place. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 118 verse five, I cried unto the Lord in my distress and he enlarged my place. I want you to understand that God is a God who is able to enlarge you. God is a God who's going to bring you into increase. Did you not know that all of this pain was used to train for greatness, that the almighty God that you serve, though you cannot feel him, it is the hidden and the revealed in the Megillah Esther. In this scroll of Esther, we can't see God. We wonder, God, where are you? But we are going to see God moving in the book of Esther, perhaps more than any other book in the Bible. No, we do not see Red Seas open. And no, we do not see a huge exodus coming out led by a prophet. But what we do see in the book of Esther is what looks like coincidence really is the hidden hand of God's providence. You see, God moves through everyday circumstances. You and I cannot see it, but it's the hidden hand. It is God's hidden hand turning situations around, moving things, maneuvering things behind the scenes, supernatural setups and divine appointments with destiny that God is is moving on your behalf. You can't see it, but it's his hidden hand moving and miraculously orchestrating and coordinating your deliverance. Now, when we begin to look at the favor of Esther, the Bible says Esther put on royalty. What in the world does it mean to put on royalty? We also see that Mordecai is going to be arrayed in the king's clothing. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 28, verses 2 and 3, something extremely important for us to know. First of all, the Bible tells us that the Lord spoke to Moses and said, 
God said to Moses, and I will read it to you from Exodus chapter 28, verses 2 and 3. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. Verse 3. And you shall speak to all the wise-hearted, whom I have put in whom I have put the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments, that they may consecrate him unto me in the priest's office. The question arises, who is going to make the garments for Aaron? Doesn't this seem like a bit of a contradiction? First, the Almighty says to Moses, you shall make garments for your brother Aaron, for glory and for beauty. Then the scripture says, speak to all the wise hearted that they may make for Aaron garments that he may be consecrated to minister unto me in the priest's office. So which one is making the garments? First of all, we must understand, dear people of God, that Moses did not take a needle and thread. He did not make those garments for Aaron. What is the Bible teaching us? The Bible is teaching us, beloved, that Moses made the garments for Aaron from the commandments of God. That Moses gave the commandments of his word and clothed Aaron with the proper discernment skills that come from God's word that make one wise, that make one wise unto salvation, that make one wise filled with the word of God. And the wise hearted are those just like Bezaliel, who the Bible speaks about in Exodus chapter 31, and Dan, the Aholiav, excuse me, from the tribe of Dan, who came and made the garments from the spirit of wisdom that they were filled with in order to make not only the garments, but all of the entities that were in the tabernacle. So when the Bible says that Esther put on royalty, and when the Bible is teaching us that also it is emphasizing the fact that Mordecai had the king's apparel on. Yes, he literally wore the king's apparel, but the Bible is also telling us something about their character traits. So what I would like to do is show you one of the most powerful supernatural secrets that's going to qualify Esther to a position of being one of the greatest heroes of the Bible. And we are going to see what made her so great. First of all, beloved saints, I want you to understand from the very beginning, she is going to be taking over what Saul forfeited. Remember, she is Saul's descendant. And we must remember that the book of Esther was written so that we might see that what Saul forfeited, Esther fulfilled. And we are also going to see that the testings of Esther are going to be very similar in circumstance to that of Saul. Why? Because Saul lost the kingship through his disobedience to spiritual authority. He lost the kingship and he rebelled against the word of the Lord and refused to smite Amalek. He refused to go in and bring down Amalek and rather than obeying what God said, yes, he smote Amalek, but he spared King 
being a gag alive. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, that Saul spared a gag when God said, go and smite Amalek and leave nothing, leave no seed. And God said, I remember what Amalek did to Israel when Israel came forth from the land of Egypt. Now, I want you to understand this was not a vendetta, but this was something by which the intrinsic evil of Amalek that challenges God and believes in the ideology of only coincidence and says, there is no divine hand. The Red Sea was just an accident. There is no prepared plan of God. And we see that Amalek, whenever Amalek attacks Israel, there are certain denominators of, of attack that we see that are uh, throughout the Bible that are very consistent and cohere one with another, particularly that Amalek, when Amalek is attacking Israel, always attacks Israel when Israel is in a place of lukewarmness. And we need to understand that during this season, it is God's will that we stay on fire for God, that we study God's word and stay focused to do what God has called us to do. And so we see Queen Esther, who has been now given the opportunity by heaven to finish what Saul forfeited. How is she going to do that? Because Haman, the son of Hamadatta, is an Agagite. He is the product of Saul's disobedience hundreds of years before. And now we see a genocide order written against the Jewish people. And now God is going to use Queen Esther to begin to fulfill what Saul forfeited. And how is she going to do that? With the very testings that Saul had, Esther is going to be faced with. And Esther is going to have to pass the test. What was the test? The test to recognize those God has placed in our lives to guide us into the paths of righteousness. Samuel was sent by God to be the leader, the spiritual leader over Israel. And Saul, when he first became king, was so humble. But Samuel said in 1 Samuel 15, verse 17, when you were little in your own sight, you were made captain, king over my people Israel. And I sent you on a journey and said, go and smite Amalek. Now, why have you disobeyed the words of the Lord? You see, God said to Samuel, it repents me that I have set up Saul to be king over Israel, seeing that he did not obey my voice. Beloved saints, now Esther when she's in the house of the women, before she becomes queen, for an entire year, every day, the Bible says that Mordecai walked every day before the king's court of the women to see how Esther did. What 
was he doing? Was he just saying, Esther, what did you eat last night through a messenger? Was he saying, are you good? Are you fine? Did you sleep well? No, these were not the conversations that Mordecai was inquiring about and risking his life because now Esther is technically property of the palace. What is he doing? He is seeing Esther Are you forgetting God in that place of vanity? Esther, do you remember, Hadassah, that we are Jews and we do not worship idols? Hadassah, are you walking in the ways of Almighty God? Are you living your life before him? Are you praying? Are you checking your conscience? Are you walking in the ways of Almighty God? Are you showing chesed? Are you showing kindness? Are you showing humility? Do you remember the values that I taught you when you were growing up, Hadassah? These are the questions that Mordecai was speaking And the Bible tells us that Esther did the commandment of Mordecai, for Mordecai commanded her that she should not tell anyone she was a Jew. Now, a year has gone by, and now it is the seventh year of the king. Remember that the Megillah begins in the third year of the reign of King Ahasuerus, and now Esther is kidnapped in that third year, and now we see several years later, actually, in the seventh year of of the king, she is brought to the palace, and she is made queen. But we are going to see, this is told to us in verse 16. However, in verse 20, the scripture is going to show us something about the greatness of Esther and why some prevail and others fail. We are going to see the secret of longevity to be able to possess one's platform and stay there, to be able to ascend to the heights of greatness that God has ordained for you, to be able to ascend to that platform, to that purpose, to that place, to that influence that God has ordained for your life. What is the secret? Does the book of Esther hold within it the spiritual secrets, which are the stepping stones into greatness? And the answer is yes. Notice what the Bible is going to tell us, beloved, concerning Esther's place and position. In Esther chapter 2 verse 20, the Bible repeats itself a second time. And it says, Esther did the commandment of Mordecai She did not reveal her identity. And now the Bible says in verse 20, For Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up by him. What does this mean? Like as when she was brought up by him? Isn't she queen? Does she have some kind of an addiction approval? 
Is there, or rather, is there an approval addiction actually going on with Esther? Does she have some kind of a psychological disorder that she has to obey him in everything, like as when she was brought up with him? Isn't she the queen of 127 provinces? Doesn't she rule over the largest empire in the world? Does she really need to obey Mordecai, her cousin, like as when she was brought up by him. She's a big girl now. She's queen. I mean, really, does she need to submit herself to his authority? And the answer to that is she does not need to, but she chooses to. You see, beloved, what we are going to see here is that Esther built fences around her life. She took accountability for her conscience. She built fences. Yes, she's now made queen, but in the beginning of this teaching, we learned there is a certain culture in the palace, a culture of narcissism, a culture of vanity, a culture of self-engrandizement, a culture of looking down on others, a culture of using one's influence to squelch other people and to not use a platform to benefit someone else. You see, beloved, we use, we see the great people that have been established in this earth, such as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who used his platform, who even used the money that he received from the uh, Nobel Peace Prize, $50,000 at the time his organization needed to have his staff paid. He used every penny to pay his staff. You see, beloved saints, what happens when someone uses the influence God has given them to lift someone else up out of the pit. When someone uses the influence to make someone believe in themselves, believe that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them, to believe they can make it, to believe that there's hope, to believe that there is a tomorrow, to believe that they are, they are something special, to be able to use your influence to open doors for another person. This is why God chose Abraham. And we see a clashing contrast between the tower builders who said, let us make a name for ourselves compared in context to Abraham, who God said, and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. You see, God wants to make us a blessing. So what does this have to do with the fact that Esther is now going to submit herself in everything to Mordecai, like is when she was brought up by him? Esther built fences. She built fences so she would not become prideful. She built fences so she could remain humble. She built fences so she could remain in the eyes of God always as pure as Hadassah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you for the stepping stones into greatness. We ask you, Lord God, that every person that is listening today will understand that you do have a platform for them with their name on it. And Lord, we ask, we so often want that platform immediately, but we don't understand the price, nor do we understand the value of what that platform can be in the eyes of helping another human being reach their goal, reach the place of their purpose. Lord God, we ask you today to open every door of destiny in our lives, but we also ask you, Lord, that we as your children would really contemplate the platform. Let us see it. Let us realize how we're going to use it. Let us resolve even now how we're going to build the fences, how we ourselves are making ourselves prepared, not just through an exterior type of preparation, getting all of our facts together, making sure that everything is done in outward excellence, but Lord, leaving completely abandoned the inward excellence that you require for leaders that qualify for the stepping stones into greatness in the word. Lord, we ask you today. Open the doors of destiny and let us become responsible leaders that will use every bit of influence you have given us to benefit others and open the kingdom. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen and amen. Thank you and we will see you on our next installment for Day of Destiny.